Have you ever thought to yourself, man, I'd like to host my own podcast? Well, guess what? You can go to podbean.com slash voices and get everything you need to create, manage, and promote your podcast. I use Podbean every week for voices in my head. There's easy uploading and publishing tools, stunning templates, custom domains, social and promotional tools, an embeddable podcast player, monetization tools, and more. It is your all-in-one podcasting solution. With Podbean, you can create professional podcasts in minutes without any programming knowledge. Best of all, everything is mobile-ready right from the start. So go to podbean.com slash voices. And when you sign up, use the code VOICES and you'll get a sizable discount. Podbean, for your home podcasting. Thank you for listening to Voices in My Head. Welcome to Voices in My Head, the official podcast of me, Rick Lee James. I'm a recording artist, a singer, songwriter, an author, a worship leader, and an ordained minister in the Church of the Nazarene. The Voices in My Head podcast is your source for discussions on music, literature, movies, pop culture, theology, and more. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the latest episode of the Voices in My Head podcast. And don't forget to let the voices in your head be heard by following me on Twitter at Rick Lee James and sharing your thoughts about today's show. I am your host, Rick Lee James. This is another special episode that came to you from Lexington, Kentucky. We recorded it on a Sunday night, and I love this because the dynamic in the room, although you'll find that it's a little bit noisy because we recorded it kind of open mic in a room uh, with, you know, like hardwood floors and then, you know, typical church walls with the, the stone bricks and things uh, around us and we were sitting in a round table area uh, Matt who is a, a very good theologian uh, myself and people from his church people from all ages we literally had uh, toddlers there that are making noise in the background and you're going to hear that and that's just part of it. it's kind of like the church we also had people that were up to and beyond retirement age and everything in between and so it was fun to be able to have this conversation about worship and the role that it plays in formation. So it's a bit of a forum where they're asking some questions to me. Matthew is asking questions, and then I do my best to answer them. And we take some time to go around the table and get the perspective of the the you know the lay people from the church too. People that, um, unlike us, are not necessarily um, trained in theology, but are people who really love God and have been part of the church and in their community. And they're from all walks of life. So you may hear some things that uh, you agree with, you may hear some things that make you uncomfortable, but I think it's a good picture of the church, and and when we come together, we come from all walks of life and from all different people. So we're going to have this conversation on the role that worship plays in our spiritual formation, and I think you're going to really enjoy this episode. So thank you for listening to Voices in My Head, and here we go. As we, uh, as we get started tonight, one of the things that wants to kind of have as a basis going into this is that perspective really does matter what your point of view is um, particularly whenever you're approaching um, any practice that you do it's very easy to approach it with the eyes that you're you're typically practicing other uh, portions of life so an engineer would look at a, uh, a particular practice with a, a set of eyes that see it one way whereas a person who is uh, an artist would look at the exact same situation and have a different way of, of viewing it. Whereas a person uh, who comes to it from a, a scientist's perspective or from a, um, a, I don't know, a farmer's perspective, all these individuals, even though they're looking at the exact same thing, are going to consider different questions first. And sometimes even individuals who are very, very close in their perspectives. Um, and especially as we're coming to this this evening, we're looking at the aspect of both worship and spiritual formation. Um, I wanted to take the opportunity with having uh, Rick here and, and uh, uh, to be able to pick his brain. Um, we're looking at the aspect of worship. Um, I have the perspective of uh, a pastoral role, uh, but he has the specific perspective of worship leader and worship pastor. Um, and you know, like I said, although those are very, very similar and very, very close, they are slightly different perspectives. And so there are those slightly different things that you'll see or pick up on. And so what we wanted to ask tonight 
was one significant question to sort of guide our conversation. Out of that, we've got uh, three other questions to, uh, to sort of get us started in that. And I guess another way of, of looking at giving us a backdrop to put that question on. So our first question is this, in what ways do worship or does worship impact the spiritual formation of the person and the worshiping community? In other words, the practices that, with, that take place on any given time that we gather together on Sunday morning or uh, during the Easter worship services or during a, a particular special worship service that surrounds a, a holy day, those practices that would take place in that community setting, in what ways do those begin to affect the way that we are formed as, as, as beings before God? And so in order for us to really answer that, we first have to figure out what do we mean whenever we're saying spiritual formation? What do we mean whenever we're talking about worship? And what do we mean whenever we're talking about who is the focus of worship? And um, so I'm going to kind of put those questions before Rick and let him, him start in that conversation. Uh, we may, uh, we'll have a little bit of, of back and forth as we argue, no, I'm just kidding, as we, uh, as we talk through these things. And, uh, and want us to have some space to, to kind of respond and to, uh, uh, to begin to um, uh, uh, brainstorm some of these things and to give you all some space to ask uh, some questions through these as well. So, Rick, go ahead. <laughs> what, what was the first question again? <laughs> first start off about what, what, do you, what do we mean in the Church of Nazareth in particular whenever we say what is spiritual formation? Okay. Um, well, what I think we mean is, at least what I think about what we mean is a set of uh, a set of practices. I think along the way that help lead us to uh, being formed into disciples. I mean, I, I think a lot of it has to do with discipleship and um, spiritual formation is interesting to me because we live in a society that right now wants to talk a lot about spirituality without talking about God or um, spirituality without, there actually even some spiritual practices without having any focus of the spiritual practices other than me. Um, so you'll have things like, you know, find, find the inner voice or the inner self or, or things like that. Um, and there'll be a set of practices, whether it be meditations or sitting and, um, and, and just listening in silence. And it's interesting to me because a lot of those are actually very similar to Christian practices. Um, but they just aren't quite there. You know, they, they have a form of it. Um, so I think spiritual formation for us in the church, and especially in the Church of the Nazarene, we do a lot of different things. Um, I think over time we've done a lot of things by trial and error, but we're actually figuring out that there's a lot of connection to the ancient church that we had missed out on, and there's a lot of different practices what, that we do uh, together on a Sunday morning that actually um, help us to live out a life of deep spirituality that actually seeks seeks after God, you know, and um, so anyway, to me, it's it's about discipleship. It's about a, a set of practices that lead us to becoming more like Jesus, to knowing Jesus more. Um, so things like we do on Sunday morning, like you know, giving praise, worshiping, whether it be in songs or testimonies or uh, the word that we hear or recite together. The, the times that we uh, take moments to confess sin, the times that we uh, spend around the table together, uh, both at communion but also in fellowship, just around a meal. You know, those are things that I think form us as the people of God and help us to know God more as we know God with each other. So that's kind of a long rambling answer, but that's kind of what I think of when it comes to, to spiritual formation. I'm curious from from everyone else. Whenever you hear that phrase, spiritual formation, what is the what's the first thing that comes to mind for you all? The first thing that comes to mind to me is the way that we've formatted the way our spirit or the way we do things spiritually. It's the formation of how we've come to where we're at. Um, for instance, 
you get different backgrounds. I was raised in the Church of the Nazarene. <clears throat> so I've grown in the, in the Church of the Nazarene, where my wife, she's, she was raised Catholic. So she's not for sure. So it's a different, it's a different growth pattern in, in the way our, our spirits are, yeah. and stuff are, are formed. Yeah. Well, my, my brother-in-law, um, and I love telling this story, my brother-in-law, let's see, I've been married seven years now. And when I met him before we got married, uh, he let me know pretty quick he thought uh, anything to do with God was stupid and he was an atheist. And, uh, and it was about three years ago now that he was baptized into the Catholic Church, went through all their catechism, uh, made his confession of faith in front of the whole, I mean, it's, and he, he's the one that leads us in prayer every time we get together now. And um, part of the, the draw to that for him, you know, as we prayed for him to, you know, really come into relationship with Christ, um, the Catholic Church for him was a place that he really connected with. And he went through like a long, a year-long practice, you know, a year-long time of coming to do their curriculum every week together and, and learning all about the church. And then, um, you know, everything was leading up to his baptism where he could start receiving communion. And um, we went and worshiped with them a few weeks ago. And um, God's really doing something very beautiful in a lot of Catholic churches right now. Um, and I, they call it the Francis effect right now. That's, that's what I'm hearing. Um, and we were surprised to walk in and hear them singing songs like, you know, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. And they've got screens up to let people know what book they're using. And, you know, they got lyrics and, you know, they're singing uh, Matt Redmond songs like, I need thee, oh, I need thee, you know, I need you, oh, I need you, and all that stuff. So um, there's, there's some, some similar and some different practices that we find, but... It, it's funny, as they're opening up more to some practices of Protestantism, we're opening up more to some practices of Catholicism, <laughs> and we're finding kind of a middle ground there that there is a lot of benefit to both of them. So, uh, yeah. Any others as far as like what you think of when you think of spiritual formation? Any images, did you say? Or no, just any other comments? Oh. Others as far as like what, what comes to mind when you think of spiritual formation? I think, uh, I don't know, I think from a secular standpoint, we think of it as somebody sitting on a mat with their, you know, fingers touching <laughs> and legs crossed, home, you know, and chanting or whatever, but I don't know, there's a lot, we, we have a much different view, I think, uh, of spiritual formation in the church. <laughs> so... Since we're, since we're trying to connect these two, and I want, I want, there's two questions I want to ask, and I want to make sure that I ask them in the right order. Um, if we're talking about connecting spiritual formation and worship, in what way is, does worship affect spiritual formation, and in what way is worship part of the practice of spiritual formation? Rick, how would you address that? And in, in what ways does worship affect formation? affect spiritual formation knowing yeah. that there's more practices than just worship and in what way is worship itself part of that practice or okay. one of those practices all right um well first i think i always want to define worship as as more than music <laughs> because usually anymore when you say worship it's relegated to a style of music you know like this is worship music and i i go to a lot of churches where I actually kind of shy away from calling myself a worship leader when I'm doing music because I want to call myself a song leader or a, a praise leader or something because I really want to try to help people understand worship is so much more than just the songs we sing and, and everything we do from the time we walk into the door to the time we leave, those are spiritual practices that we're doing from, from the gathering to the scattering and, and the sending out. And, um, if I'm understanding the question right, um, there are a lot of practices that we do in church and also outside of church that gather around uh, acknowledging the holiness of who God is, um, acknowledging that we are his people, giving him praise, um, taking a right posture before him. And so I think in what, what we do on, on a Sunday morning, 
is in a big way kind of what we're doing through the rest of the week every day of our life. We're supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be living that way. And um, worship is misunderstood if it's not understood as being a verb. It's very much an action word. And it's not something that we um, should, as Christians, just be spectators in. You know, there's all kinds of movements and actions. And, um, and if you're talking about, like, worship specifically in the church and the movements that happen there um, I just find it interesting that like the church has always been very uh, engaging from early on in all of the different senses of, of the body like there's, there's different things that the church we've actually given up a lot of them over time but from the beginning um, the church engaged in taste like you know, how often do you think of church as a place to go taste something? But really, that was part of what the table was about. Or obviously, our hearing, you know, we hear the word when we come together. Um, there were things like smell that were engaged. We don't usually think about that one a lot. But there was incense that was there. It was supposed to remind us that we are in the place that's like heaven, and there's this aroma of heaven that's around us. Whether or not you think aroma of incense smells like heaven or not, <laughs> that, was the, that was the purpose of it. But I've, but I've had, you know, we do visual things. We do, uh, have I missed any of them? Did I do four, whatever, the senses, the, the touch that's there. And a lot of that has to do with how we gather together. I said visual, oh, full okay. sight. But, um, there's, there's a lot that we do have always done to engage in worship. And um, I was talking with one of my fellow worship leaders the other day. Um, and we were talking about how to like engage our congregations on every level of the senses, and we were trying to think of like, is there a way that like smell can be worshipful that isn't incense? You know, because we because smell is one of those things when you when you walk into a place, if it doesn't smell good, it turns you off pretty quick. You know, to what it is like, ugh, you know, and it's one of those you don't want to sit next to the smelly person. You know, if you can keep from it, and yet. Uh, in a sense, sitting next to the smelly person is sort of the most Jesus thing that we can do. You know, if, if you think about it, like engaging in worship of, of Christ who did not keep himself away from people but came close to the very heart of, of um, the dark places and the hurt places and the smelly places and things like that. So, so it's a suggestion from now on as pastor, don't bathe, come to church. No. <laughs> no, but maybe... <laughs> No, but, but maybe part of our formation as, as Christians is understanding, you know what, maybe part of engaging Jesus is engaging that smelly person, you know. Um, if we really think that we see Jesus in all people, maybe, maybe part of our mission and part of our worship today is to befriend that one that nobody's sitting next to. And it's hard, it's difficult, but that's also part of our discipleship, you know. Um, and so I think that kind of thing carries over outside the church as well. And one way that I clearly have seen in my own life, uh, and this is a very personal thing for me, but it's not a private thing, but it's a very personal thing that when it comes to worship. I, I do Sunday worship, but I also do um, my own prayer time during the day, and I do a lot of memorization. So I'll, I'll memorize a lot of prayers, and then I'll, I'll, I'll come, almost like I do with the guitar, where you have to learn the music first, but then it starts to freely flow out of you. I do that with prayers, and so they feel very mechanical at first, or if I memorize scripture. Um, but then I find that when I really need those, those things start to flow out of me too, because I'm able to start praying them spontaneously. And for me, that sort of corporate and private worship would come together in hospital rooms numerous times, including like in family members, and when my grandma was dying. Um, there was just there was just moments where those prayers I had learned just started really flowing out, like I didn't have any words to say, you know, in that moment. Or when we again found ourselves at a place, as I told you this morning, with the miscarriages, and we don't know what to say, and we just start praying, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." It makes me to lie down in green pastures, and you get that line of um, walking through the shadow of death. You know, um, you, you've got something in there. And the most, probably, the, I'll, I'll stop talking in a second, I promise. One of the most real things I've ever heard, though, about how worship has affected a person, um, I, I've gotten to know a, an artist a little bit 
named Andrew Peterson. He's a really wonderful songwriter, and he writes novels and just does amazing things. And um, he has a new album out. Uh, it's actually a three-part album called Resurrection Letters. And so there's songs about the Passion Week before Jesus, as Jesus is going to the cross, and then there's songs about uh, after the resurrection, and then there's another album that's about the effect of the resurrection in people's daily lives. Um, and he has a song on one of those albums that's called Always Good, and it's a lament song. And, um, and it comes from a story of one of his very good friends. Um, his, his wife and he, they, his wife had a baby, and then the wife died within about an hour of having the baby. And uh, said here he was experiencing the best day and the worst day of his life all at the same time in that moment. And Andrew said his kids, his kids are close with this friend too. And he said his sons were in the room after, actually as the wife died. And this man's there with his baby and it was his wife that just passed away. And they said he was just like chanting the words, always good, he's always good, he's always good, he's always good. You know, and just like weeping these these words through that, um, but something had formed him, you know, to do that. So Andrew Peterson wrote a lament song called "Always Good" and sang it at the funeral. That was always about that, and it's about. Um, to me, that's one of the most real images of the way that worship is supposed to form us spiritually. You know, um, I don't even think he felt that God was that good in that moment, but there was something about. Um, the practices that he had made such a part of his life of acknowledging the goodness of the Lord, that God would be good to him in the midst of all that, that, you know, that, that's just, a, that's one of the most powerful stories I've heard in a very long time about how this kind of thing actually can shape us in those moments of life. But anyway, I'm done now. Somebody else well, talk. I'm glad you used <laughs> the word other than formation. Because yeah. when you guys were saying formation, it sounds very much like a theological term. Mm -hmm. And I wish you would have used another term that's more of a layman's term, term like make. Mm -hmm. Like what makes me. Or remade. Yeah. Or, you know, what, what builds me of who I am. What part of worship would put in layer upon layer upon layer upon layer that would sustain me in that kind of situation? Yeah. What part of worship would I build into my psyche, yeah. the core of who I am, yeah. that even when something is <coughs> bad or when something is good, mm -hmm. that I can hold on to and, and, and maintain who I believe in and who I love and who I care about. So formation is this kind of word up here that I can't grab a hold of. Yeah. I, and I, I tend to think of it almost like when I think of formation, like a potter is forming the clay, you know, like something that's reshaping. Yeah, and, I've and I've never been able to make like, a clay potter. No, I haven't either, but sort of like being being reshaped and being remade and being, yeah, built up. and. Maybe we could say growing into maturity, <laughs> you know. Oh, I'm in trouble then. <laughs> well, actually, whenever you said another word, the first thing that came to mind was, you know, the, you used the clay pot example, molding, being, being spiritually fashioned or molded or, or developed. None of those, are, I think, are going to be totally adequate. But one of the things that you, you bring up there is this idea of, the, the imagery you use is this layer upon layer of being made, of, of, of being shaped, of being formed, and, and I know I'm going to slip back to that language because that is the, the term that I'm going to most commonly use. But That's a being, verb and formation is a noun. Yeah, of, of being formed, of being made into the person that you were. Um, 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 the phrase that H. Ray Downing, Ralph H. Ray Downing always used, and I love this little phrase, where you are you're in the process to be becoming what you were created to be, um, what, you, what God made you. Um, and there's, there's this movement towards that. Um, and so one of the interesting pieces of that puzzle is, is that 
and, and as we've talked about, there are practices, uh, practices from um, hearing and responding to the word, to memorizing the word, to reflection upon uh, God's word, whether in written form or in a message, meditation, whether we're talking about prayer, both privately or personally, um, or, um, or in corporate settings, whether we're talking about discipleship groups uh, similar to this, um, if we're talking about communion as a, as a moment of being uh, spiritually molded or formed, when we're talking about um, um, even, even um, godly conversation um, that challenges us and, and holds us accountable, moments of confession, moments of, of praise or adoration. Um, tithing is a spiritual practice or a practice of being spiritually formed and molded, fasting. You know, the, we could go on down this list, but I want to go back to something that, that Rick said earlier uh, to kind of move us into the, the next question that I want us to bring up is, um, he said that sometimes there is this tendency, because it's not as if though our world does not see or acknowledge the spiritual side of who we are as, as beings in the world, um, as much as we sometimes will relegate thinking beings a little higher on the rung than we do as spiritual beings. We don't, we don't negate the, the fact that we're still spiritual beings. But he, he kind of said, you know, there's this idea of doing practices without focus. In fact, the, the image that, that immediately came to mind was this concept or this idea of um, let's go build something. We're going to build because building is good. And so we're going to have Bill help us out because Bill's great with electricity and my wife will shoot me if I deal with anything with wires. <laughs> um, so we're going we're gonna to go out and, you know, uh, Paul's going to work on the carpentry side of things and I'm going to work on some plumbing side of things. And we're going to build a building. And so all we get together and we all are going to meet on next Saturday and we all have all the tools that we need. We all have all the lumber and all the wire and all the resources that we need. And so let's get to it. Let's start building. And so we... We start digging out a foundation, and we start throwing stuff together, and we, we get about, you know, I don't know, two or three weeks into the project, and we're all frustrated with each other because even though we all agreed that we were going to build something, we never actually agreed on what it was we were going to build. And, and I think that part of what uh, Rick had alluded to earlier is, is that as much as practices of prayer, scripture, uh, devotion, meditation, worship, communion, tithing, fasting, and the list could go on and on. This is nowhere by any stretch of the imagination exhaustive. Um, we could have all of that list of stuff to do, the process of building, but if we have no blueprint, um, then what are we building towards? And so I guess my next question is, is um, how big of a role does it play? Because assuming the answer is going to obviously be that it plays a significant role, mm -hmm. to first answer the question, who is the object of our worship? Who is the object of our um, spiritual molding, spiritual being, being spiritually formed? I'll put it in a verb form. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like it should be obvious in church that, that God... Uh, God is our focus, you know, of our worship. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit in our, in our Christian worship. Um, and yet, there's a lot of churches that have kind of made their identity on this being sort of a self-help church, you know. Um, I, I don't want to name any names, but there's plenty out there. And if you walk into any sort of Christian bookstore, if you can find one anymore, um, the, you actually will find several of these on the shelf. And there's a, they sound a lot like just regular self-help books, you know, and uh, you're, you're good enough and you're smart enough and doggone it, people like you type thing, you know. Um, but there's a sense in which um, it has to be something directed at, while we are part of worship, it has to be directed at someone other than me um, or it's not going to do us any good, <laughs> you know, because um, I, I, I've proven time and again I'll form myself the wrong way every time, <laughs> you know, um, uh, and and if we don't allow God to be the one that is the one that shapes us and molds us and grows us and and creates something in us, I don't think it's going to be strong. But I, as a worship songwriter, um, I, I'm always struggling against this, and I struggle when I go to 
places and I hear a lot of new worship songs, sometimes old worship songs too. Something, sometimes things in the hymnal will hit me the wrong way. I'll be like, wow, that's really like, it's really bad. Like that's not even true, I don't think, um, at, at times. And a, a good example, I can't even think of the name of the song and it's probably best, but there's a bridge of this worship song that's pretty popular right now. And it just says, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. Oh Lord, you're never gonna let, you're never gonna let me down. And it just repeats again, Lord, you're never gonna let me down, you're never gonna let me down. And, and I always wanna be cautious about things like that. For one, you've really made the focus of the song about me and what you're gonna do for me, first of all. And then I always hear that phrase of like, well, maybe he won't let you down, but what are you expecting God to not let you down about? Because depending on the answer, like, He's going to let you down on some things if, if your priority is wrong, if you haven't been shaped towards asking for the right things. If, you're, if your expectation is, God, give me a million dollars, you're never going to let me down. Oh, God, you're not, you know, it's like, well, yeah, he's probably going to let you down. I was thinking of being right. I don't want to be right. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's been a lot of worship music, and I think, thankfully, because I, I'm a part of writing a lot of, with a lot of great people who are doing very serious work writing music for the church we take this very seriously i think there was there has been a a real um change in helping us write songs that are a lot more focused upon him than upon me you know and uh, and i i notice a real power in in worship songs that we sing speaking of the focus if you if you look through the lyrics even just read them sometimes and notice which ones are really like making God the topic of the song versus ones that make me the topic of the song. I, I sometimes can feel that there's a lot more power to the songs that are making God the focus. You know, like you can almost just feel it even in reading the words and you'll find a lot more nourishment in those things. Um, so yeah, I obviously should be obvious to us that God is the focus of our worship, but um, that also maybe would bring us to the, the other thought. We also have a lot of music that maybe presents a false picture of God, even if it does focus on God. Um, and we have a lot of what me and my friends uh, call Jesus is my boyfriend songs, you know? <laughs> because every song, if you just took Jesus out and changed it to your boyfriend or girlfriend, it would be the exact same thing, you know, uh, like you hear on a pop radio station, you know. So that it's it's actually a term in the industry we use. <laughs> we call them Jesus is my boyfriend songs, and so we're trying to, we're trying to steer away from an image of of that for a God that is more transcendent than that, and a God that is actually much bigger than what my boyfriend or girlfriend could do for me, you know, in in those type of ways. So so the focus of it does make a lot of difference when it comes to worship. What does it look like then when our practices um, become a greater focus than the actual purpose of being spiritually formed? Um, that is to say, whenever I spend more time focusing on, okay, I need to start praying more regularly, and so I'm going to have my prayer time at this time, this time, and this time, and I'm going to read this much scripture in the morning, this much scripture the afternoon, and I'm going to have... Um, make sure that I never miss out on this small discipleship group and and the actual practice becomes a greater focus than the purpose. Or is that a pitfall at all? Are you asking me or is that for everybody? That's for everybody. Anybody. Okay. <laughs> well, I think if you put the practice ahead of the purpose, you miss the purpose. And you start just doing it because you have to. You're not doing it because you want to or because you know that it glorifies God. You're doing it because you have to and it, you get burnt out on it real quick. Either that or we go back to what we talked about last week. It becomes your identity as opposed to it being where your identity truly sits. So that you're asking people to look at you by what you're doing. comes back to that me what am I doing it's me instead of him and and there can be this place to where even a good 
um, sounding title, for example, man, I, that person over there, uh, he or she, they're just, man, they're a solid, awesome prayer warrior. They just, that's the, that's who they are. They're an awesome prayer warrior, as opposed to, that's a person who is a child of God. Um, they're, they're being formed, remade in the image of Christ versus they're known for doing that discipline, that, that, uh, that piece of, of being spiritually formed. And I think if we have one spiritual formation that is ahead of the other, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but we tend to focus on that one spiritual formation and we forget about the other ones. We forget that not only do we need to pray, and we become real good at praying, but you also have the word that you need to be in, and you have other things that you need to be doing, but those take the back burner because you focus so much on one. But then again, how long is that going to last before you, before you get burnt out? Before you're like, well, man, I'm praying so much that I don't see anybody else praying like me. And once again, it's back on that me. I'm praying so much that, like, well, I didn't see Joy pray today. I, I didn't see, you know, and it's like. She has her eyes open during the prayer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, you know, and if that becomes the focus of our, of our worship, then we miss the point entirely. Um, I, I was just gonna say, I wonder if it, I wonder if it can be both and because I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm wary of like letting the practice become God itself. And yet at the same time, I know that I need some sort of practice so that I don't fall away from it, you know, and it, and it helps me. Um, and, and an interesting thing to me, very recently I had a couple of friends of mine, a couple of really sweet ladies, they're actually Muslims, they live in, in Springfield where I live, and I had them on, on this podcast that I do on an almost weekly basis. And I asked them to clarify and clear up some things about Islam, you know, because there's a lot there's a lot of false statements being made and a lot of true things and just it was just good to talk to him but one thing that really impressed me about I'm, and I mean I'm serious it really impressed me was their commitment to praying um, to the point not just that they pray but if they're on a trip they have certain times a day they do it and they pull the car over and they stop on the side of the road if they need to if they're on an airplane they have to stop and um, it, it I, I don't know too many Christians that have that kind of a commitment to their prayer life that have, that have said, you know what, I've, I'm committed to this and I'm going to do it, you know, like today. And um, I, I admire that. And um, But again, if, if we're not careful, we can, we can spend those times and, and think that we're maybe earning our salvation by doing that or something. Right. And, and in actuality, it's not that at all. It's, it's, it's kind of like, you know, fitness, which I've learned a lot more about in the last few years because I lost a bunch of weight and I figured out how to eat better and things like that. Um, that, that the practice of learning how to do it is what helps me to keep doing it, you know, <laughs> in a sense. But, yeah, it's the practice itself. Um, I kind of lost my train of thought a little bit, but it, there, there is a certain practice to a lot of the rhythms of our life. But if we get out of those rhythms in the long term, uh, if we get out of those rhythms in the long term, it can have a bad effect. So I know, I know now that if I, I know where I was going now. I know now that if I, if I get away from those practices I've developed of eating better and exercising more regularly, I'll go back to the 50 pounds are going to come back and you know things like that. So it's it's something we hold in, you know doesn't mean every now and then you can't have some ice cream. You just don't want to make that your every night, <laughs> you know, routine to do. And so the, the practice can change from time to time. But Well, and if we go back to the illustration that we used earlier of the, of the building and the blueprints, um, if we came back together on the next day and we said, hey, our building without a blueprint didn't get us anywhere because we're all building different buildings. But then we decided, hey, what if we all shared the same blueprint? And then we all said, yep, everybody's got a copy of the same blueprint. But yet we no longer practiced the actual practices of building. You know, 
Nobody did any electrical work. Nobody did any foundation work. No one did any carpentry. No one did any plumbing. We just said, hey, we got all of us have the same blueprint and we all want to see the same building built and we all have unity on this. This is the building we want and we agree wholeheartedly. But we gave up the actual practices of building. It doesn't get us any farther along than when we were all about practicing the practices of building but didn't have a blueprint to work with. Um, it, it does require both sides of that. You, you actually have to have a blueprint in hand. You actually have to have practice in hand. Um, one of the stories that, that Jesus tells whenever he's, he's with his disciples and he, he talks about this instance where um, two people go up to the temple to pray. When they go up to the temple to pray, he says that um, one is a Pharisee and, and one is a tax collector. And he says that the uh, first there is the, uh, um, the tax collector and he kind of stands um, off to himself. He, he has kind of his own uh, little space that he, he has. He's, he's cleared out some area around himself and he stands up, he, he puffs him, his, his chest out and he, he begins to tell God his litany of practices. He begins to tell God, you know, of how he ties, of how he prays, of, of how he does everything right. Uh, but in the process of doing everything right, he gets to this point in his prayer where he says, and Lord, I just want to thank you. I am not like this guy, this tax collector. Thank you, Lord, for making me not him. Um, and then he goes on and he says, and then you have this other gentleman who has separated himself off from the others, but not in the purpose of being seen or pride, but rather in the purpose of humility, his he is in a, a, a position of humility. He's, he's, he's more um, uh, humble than downcast. And he beats his chest and he cries out to God and he asks for forgiveness. But the point being is, is that both of them are participating in the practice of prayer at temple. Both of them are, are coming before God, approaching him and seeking his face in that practice of prayer. But Jesus then asked the question, which one of these two walks away justified? Which one of these two actually found formation uh, through the practice of which they were a part? Um, and, and one could actually argue both of them were formed by the practice, uh, but one practice sought the self um, and the self-promotion, whereas the other practice was seeking after God and, and found hum uh, humility um, and found transformation in their personhood. Um, Romans uh, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 reads this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. No longer be conformed to this world, but rather be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern that which is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, what is perfect? Um, I want to kind of close out with this question. <coughs> Excuse me. Not with a cough. Um, and, and it's one that um, uh, Rick shared with me earlier this afternoon, but I want to ask it in this context. And um, uh, I want to have an opportunity for Rick and, and for all of you to sort of um, respond to this for a moment. Um, he asked it this way. He said, uh, if a person were to worship alongside of us for the next 15 years with the practice that we have here at Calvary. What kind of person would we form if they were to practice worship with us for the next 15 years, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday? What person would we be forming, molding, shaping? <coughs> what would that look like? What, what have we been formed into? Is it what we're shooting for? Well, we would hope so. But does it mean every one of us are formed the same either? And I don't, maybe we shouldn't be all the same. No, I, I definitely don't think it needs to be a, a cookie cutter, but by all means, I would hope that our our common place of worship forms common um, uh, common realities among us. 
and I'm kind of, I guess I'm, I'm asking what would those common realities be? Well, hopefully, uh, and all this, you know, worship and discipline, if we go back to the two great commandments, I think as long as we are living up to those two, then we're, we're doing all right. Maybe, maybe a better way to phrase that is, does a person who worshiped with you look more like Jesus than if they had not worshiped with you? You know, <laughs> after 15 years goes by. Or, that's, a, that's a good question to ask of, I mean, we're evangelicals, so it's a good question to ask of the evangelical church in America, you know, which a lot of us have been, you know, many people have gone for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years to the same church. And um, I think a good, I think our goal is to be more like Jesus and all that we do is allow Jesus and the Holy Spirit to, to move among us. And I think it's a, um, it's, it's maybe a haunting question a little bit to ask if our churches have really availed themselves to Jesus as much as they've availed themselves to a lot of other things. Um, because we see a lot of Christians that are living lifestyles that don't really look a lot like what we see in Jesus, you know, uh, and we see it in mass, like, um, but then again, we see a lot of people who I think do as well, and um, I just found that they asked that question um, last year at a conference I was at, and one of, it was a pastor's conference, and they just had said, you know, basically that whole idea, if a person worships with you for the next 15 years, what difference does that make in their lives, and what kind of person have they become as a result of being worshiping with you, you know. Um, hopefully, we've become disciples of Jesus. I mean, hope, hopefully. God help us, please. <laughs> stick around with us for 15 years must be doing something else. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Two things. Yeah. <laughs> I think it makes us hold a mirror up to ourselves mm -hmm. and look at ourselves very critically mm -hmm. about who we are when we when we think about somebody sitting next to us. Mm -hmm. But you also said something that I'll throw a wrench in there. Okay. Um, it's that you said uh, we need to, I think a lot of times when I look at who Jesus was and how he lived, mm -hmm. I know a lot of people who call themselves Christian mm -hmm. that wouldn't want to be around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because he availed himself a lot of people, which would have applied to that tax collector, mm -hmm. a lot of other people, and when we we would have to make sure whoever we that we avail ourselves to everybody that other people think we can't pick and choose yeah. who we avail ourselves to yeah. and who we love mm -hmm. and who we reach and who that we. We can't put those walls up between us and them. Mm -hmm. Amen. And so I think, I think it amounts to doing a self-inspection mm -hmm. to make what are what are we, and we need to be careful about how we interpret yeah. what that means. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I think it. I think it tells us a lot about what we as a church, I don't just mean one church, I just mean we as a church, yeah. what we think about who Jesus is by what our churches look like a lot of times, you know, and the kind of people we accept or don't accept or the people we choose to be with. Um, I'm, I'm increasingly convicted um, about like, you know, if, if we're really supposed to be living out the kingdom of God, uh, and we, we pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray and the Lord's Prayer. And my friend, I have, I'm a friend with a, a Jewish rabbi in Springfield and I walked in last time I went to visit him and he was teaching his people on the Lord's Prayer uh, in the synagogue, and, and, and the temple rather. And he was saying, this is the most, the most Jewish prayer in all of the Bible, is the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught. I said, but we don't pray it because Jesus taught it. <laughs> he, said, he said, but it's a good prayer and we should pray it. <laughs> so, um, which is very interesting. But in that prayer we have, you know, we pray this very little prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And um, 
thy kingdom come means every tribe and nation and tongue and every person. And I think when we look at our churches, at least in America, um, we see a lot of, uh, you know, I know this Sunday morning, I, I think there was only white people here that I saw. T tonight, tonight there's definitely more, and I'm grateful for that. But more often than not, in Nazarene churches I go to, um, it's almost always, it, with the exception maybe of one or two people, it's not a very like diverse, diverse kingdom. It's it's, and I I think we have a lot of work to do with that as the church, and just even finding out what that means. How do we, as the kingdom of God, uh, learn to be people who reach out more? Because a lot of times we we worship quite differently, you know, in in different cultures and stuff, and yet. That might be part of our worship too, is learning how to accommodate others that aren't like us. And as you say, I loved what you said there. It was One of really the good. sweetest things you can hear in our church on Sunday morning, honey, it is the sweetest thing, are those little children yeah. who already know the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. I sat with one of the couple of families that sat behind us. Their little girls for three years have been saying the Lord's Prayer. And I heard Preston this morning. I heard Preston saying the Lord's Prayer. And it tore me up. Because mm. he's just a little fella. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about the most precious Boy, sound yeah. in the world when they are saying the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. My, my son, who was five, he, every night when my wife lays down with him to put him to bed, they say the Lord's Prayer. And he asked us at dinner the other night, What's kingdom come? <laughs> you know, he asked that thing, you know, and trying to explain that to a five-year-old, I'm like, oh, that's a, let me think here. Yeah, that's a big question. We're going to yeah. talk about formation. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you don't use those kind of words. So, no, it's, thank you for saying that. Gosh, that's beautiful. There's nothing more beautiful than when our children, you know, they're, they're entering ahead of us, I'm, I believe, you know, and. There's something that we lose of that when we get to be adults. That, you know, Rich Mullins, the late Rich Mullins, he had a song. He had a song called "Growing Young," and he in that song he talks about salvation as really just the idea that we're growing young again, that we are becoming the children of God. That's that's a beautiful way of putting it. So. Well, and I think that's the thing. Too many too many people in the church have forgotten that that Jesus is one thing that he said was not hold the children back, let them come. Mm -hmm. And we as a church, and I'm not talking about this church, I'm talking about the church in general, we forgot that if we would just step back and look at how kids act, mm -hmm. how do kids act today? I mean, granted, there's a lot of issues in culture today, but we have kids that know no no skin color. Mm -hmm. They know no ethnic background. Yeah. But isn't that what Jesus <laughs> called us to? Yeah. yeah. And I think the church has forgotten that on, on some levels. Yeah. Because, like you said, you go to a Nazarene church and it's predominantly a white church. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Third spill of the night. <laughs> hey, so, it's Trinitarian. So, I mean, you know, and that's the thing. I think that's one thing we have to do to get back to our to our roots yeah. is to remember that these these kids are how we should act. Yeah. You know. Well, you know what? Would <laughs> <laughs> you say that? I love I love having these toddlers. I love having these toddlers in the room tonight because um, yes, they spill things and they make messes and they get a little noisy, but that's part of that's part of life in the family, and we've we've forgot we've forgotten that the family of God is the family of God from all ages, and I hope that you know one thing growing up in the church, I gained so much from like Sunday night testimony time that I didn't even know I was gaining from that here in the old saints of the church. You know, tell these stories to me, um, and I didn't even know they were telling me the stories. But in essence, you were talking about testimony this morning. Um, there's a sense in which if we separate too much, we're, that's a real problem because our children are a part of that. I love what you just said. I love having them in here. I really do because I, 
I'm away from home for a week and I missed my son already. It's only been one day, so. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, he was good. I got hungry. Well, one of the things I like is the, is the kids. And I remember when I was a kid, I'd, I would be shaking like this, you know, getting up in front. But I love the kids doing the scripture verses and the singing and everything. I, 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 that's something to look forward to coming to church. And some of the some of the older ones, or the younger ones, are seeing what the what the or some of the younger ones are seeing what the older ones do, and they want to do the same thing. And that's 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 great. <laughs> that's why it's fun to see new Christians too who don't know all the Christian language and stuff because they don't know how to act yet and it's, it's so awesome to see you know like when I say they don't know how to act yet they probably know how more how to act than we do <laughs> you know yeah, cause they're, and they're not as I think one thing that hinders those of us who've grown up we get constricted mm-hmm. we hold back and we don't let out the spirit yeah. we don't show that enough like we should so We did have a, a black lady. She was the one with the walker. You're, you're right. We did. We did. Have Actually, <laughs> uh, another black lady was was the one that invited her to come to the church to begin with. Uh, Christine. 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 Yeah. Christine. Yeah. Christine got a boyfriend to go somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what. She goes well, and I, to church now. And I, yeah. I definitely didn't mean to, to pick <laughs> no. on the church about that. No, I just, no, I, no. It's just something I see a lot. You just didn't I, see our teenagers. I don't know. Well, no, I, I saw them tonight, in. and I, I know about that. But I, I, I see wherever. I travel to a lot of churches. Yeah. And, um, and, I, and I, see when I, I see when I worship in places that have a lot of diversity, there's a real richness there that I miss when I come back to my church. And I just think. Um, I, I'm actually not picking on anybody about it, even my home truth. church. It's just the truth, and, it, and it's just something I think we need to work on in our in becoming disciples. You know, we there's a lot more there's a lot more richness to be found. You know, and I, I think it's it's something that we can really benefit all together. From. Spill now we're up to the gospels. <laughs> we're up to the gospels. Four spills. <laughs> we might have to wrap this up. <laughs> They've been so good, though, honestly, for for an hour to sit here and have this conversation. So. They do this. They are really good kids. I will have to say. <laughs> but this. It's good stuff. But this goes back to one of the things that we have, and I've had this conversation. I know yesterday in class, and I've actually had it so many times in the last week, I can't remember where I had it at, which time. Um, but one of those things of being spiritually formed is, re- is, is being reminded that you are not spiritually formed in a bubble, that spiritual formation takes place corporately. And one of the things that we can do the worst is say, okay, now this age group, you go over here and do your thing. This age group, you go over here and do your thing. This age group, you go over here and do your thing. There are times for that in appropriate times for that but if it's constantly that if there's never any place besides corporate morning worship where you have a small group that includes toddlers as well as adults then we forget that wait wait we're all being spiritually formed by these conversations we're all being spiritually formed by prayers and we may or may not realize how much Preston is picking up on the phrase it's awesome to hear kids praying the Lord's Prayer. But after it's said enough times, he's going to hear it and catch it in one of these conversations that, wait, it matters to them too when I pray the Lord's Prayer. And that's part of that being formed process. Um, That matters as well. Thank you for joining me here this week on the Voices in My Head podcast. I hope you'll visit me on my website at rickleyjames.com, follow me on Twitter at rickleyjames, like my artist page on Facebook at facebook.com slash rickleyjames, and keep up to date on what I'm writing at my author page on amazon.com. Make sure to follow my calendar on the website, and if you would like to have me come to your town to do a concert, a speaking engagement, or a book event, you can book me through my website by clicking on the link for Pair Booking Agency. 
That's P-A-R-E Booking. And finally, it would mean the world to me if you were to leave me a review of this podcast on iTunes. The more positive reviews that we receive, the more visible this podcast is on the internet. And now the benediction. May the God of peace, who raised Christ from the dead, strengthen your inner being for every good work. And may the blessing of God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit rest upon you and dwell within you this day and forevermore. Amen.